Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was one of my highlights of 2022, watching live 3x3 basketball in the rain in Birmingham at the Commonwealth Games with my five-year-old son who's a massive Michael Jordan and LeBron James fan. It was topped off as the England men's team claimed the gold medal and the women a silver just a few days later. I'm John. And I'm Michael. Basketball is the second most played sport amongst young people in this country. But away from the NBA, it doesn't get the coverage or recognition it deserves. And after having a British team at the 2012 Olympics in London, how far away are we from seeing Team GB up there again? Let's find out. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. I'm Steve Bocknell, Head of Talent and Performance for Basketball England. Firstly, Steve, a pleasure to meet you. And what a record, the first Englishman to compete in the NBA. That is a heck of an achievement. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to to have great support coming from England as a, a young lad and then getting the opportunity to go to America, which was really a dream come true. And and then I worked my socks off, really, um, to get to that point where I could be recognised um, as a professional player and, and have an opportunity um, to play one of my my boyhood um, heroes, Magic Johnson, with the Lakers. So... Um, I've been fortunate. Uh, it takes a little bit of luck and obviously a lot of hard work. So um, I'm happy I was able to get to that point. I want to talk to you about your career in a moment, but let's talk about your role and what you do now. You said you're the head of talent and performance at Basketball England. What does that actually mean? I'm still trying to figure out, John, but uh, it's, a, it's a great title. But usually it's a performance director, similar type role. Um, I oversee our talent pathway. Um, which starts from about 11 years old with a SPIRE program leading all the way to national teams. Um, so and anything in between, our academy set up, um, our performance uh, um, activities, anything to do with performance basketball, anything to do with nurturing kids to get to that level. Uh, and our job is really to, to nurture them and to give them the tools and support needed to get to that high level of, of the sport. 
And it's something that you've always done since since you stopped playing, because I think you were the founder of uh, Lewisham Thunder as well. Yes, London Thunder. I've always had a passion um, for giving back. I mean, coming from the neighbourhood I came from and how I grew up, I knew it was important um, to give back. And as soon as I stopped playing, I had a plan where I wanted to put basketball back on the map, especially in my area where I grew up, where the famous uh, club of Crystal Palace um, no longer existed. Um, there's been a couple of franchises after that. But when I stopped playing, um, there was no basketball in the area, John. I just couldn't believe it. So I made that one of my first um, endeavors was to get basketball back on the, on the map. So I surrounded myself with like-minded people um, who I played before, and they all grew up like me with kids and everything. And, and we started this little club in Lewisham, and it's just grown from strength to strength until we, we changed our name to London Thunder. Um, we have our own venue. It's a converted warehouse. Um, it's not much, but it's ours. And we've had that opportunity to build and grow over the last eight years. I mentioned in my intro that basketball is the second most played sport among young people. Why is it then such a struggle? Why was Crystal Palace not there? What, what, what's gone wrong in the last years since you learned to play the game and, and went to the NBA? Just from you know my point of view, obviously resources is, is a big issue. Um, getting, getting those resources to the right places, to the right people. Um, infrastructure, facilities is key. Um, unlike football, we can't really play outside only in the summer times. Um, very difficult to play in the winter. And and just basically uh, a lot of timing. I mean, at some at one point we were on Sky TV and I played for a year. We we're on Sky TV. So we've had opportunities. We just haven't galvanized them and, and pushed them in the right direction. But as you say, a lot of young people are playing basketball. The sport is thriving at the lower levels. I think we just we, we just need support, more support and more belief um, from our leaders that this sport can be a part of our society and can contribute in many different ways, not just on the on the playing field. You mentioned missed opportunities. I assume London 2012 was a, a missed opportunity as well. Um, I would say that not to be negative, but I would say that the legacy part of it um, was non-existent. Um, I didn't think we capitalized on, on all the media and press and, and having some of these global stars over here. We, we never capitalized on that. And I've got my reasons why, um, but we just didn't do a good job. I think that was our boss, Stuart Kellett, was really, really focused on making sure we had a legacy plan um, after the three-on-three, -three, and we're implementing that right now. So we've learned from that mistake, and I think we we, we have um, made some inroads into pushing the sport the way we want to push it forward. You mentioned the 3x3, the Commonwealth Games. It, could that be the starting block, Those that gold and, and silver medal success? I hope so. Um, you know, myself and my team and all and all of the of the people, the employees who worked in basketball in England, we worked extremely hard um, to, to, to get to that point where we could win medals at the Common, Commonwealth Games with those great players. And we feel like we've shown what basketball can do. Basketball can be successful. Um, obviously, again, it's the resources. And, and more importantly, as you know, John, it's the people. And I think we got it just right um, with basketball in England. We surrounded ourselves with a lot of like-minded people, people who really had a passion for the sport, 
who really wanted to drive the sport and more importantly would be around after the Commonwealth Games to see it through. I think that's the difference. Let's talk about those Commonwealth Games. It says that you masterminded the success. How difficult was it for you to get the teams together and then get them in a place where they were winning those those gold and silver medals? I think the first thing for me, I had no clue about three-on-three. Um, as a professional player and a student of the five-on-five game, I always looked down at the three-on-three game. I didn't want to tell anybody that, but I was like, that's not basketball. But as I did the research, as my team looked into it more and more, we, we realized that this is kind of following the trend of society, isn't it? Fast games, quick games, games are over quickly. And we knew that this was an opportunity. We also realized after doing our research that we were in a good position in terms of the makeup of our players, um, that we could be successful. A lot difficult to be successful in a 12-man team, a lot easier in the five. And we felt we could find five players who compete with anybody. So the first thing was the research. The second thing was using my experience of performance is like, what would you want to go through yourself, Steve? If you had this opportunity, what would you want to do? And the first thing I, I would say is we need to surround ourselves with the best. And we did that. The Serbians we went to Serbia and we worked with them. And, and they're the godfathers of three on three. So we were able to work with some of the best in the business. And they taught us a lot of things about three on three that we wouldn't know. And the next thing was competition. And we provided our teams a lot of good competition in terms of European championships, in terms of going to tournaments in France. Um, in terms of just really giving them that contact time around the three and three and putting them in the right environments. And of course, you couldn't do it without the players. So we had to select the players. And I, and I think, you know, the first thing before the players comes the coach. And I think we were very lucky to be able to get two of those coaches, Julius Joseph, an ex-player um, for GB, Steph Collins. Uh, again, her record speaks for herself. An international player, um, an excellent coach. So my, my job was, if I can get these two um, involved, the players will follow. And, and it worked that way. So it was a collaboration of everything. But I think just my experience with performance and playing at the highest level gave me insight into what these players would want the program to look like. And, and then we had to be honest with the players and tell them what we we're going to do and how we we're going to do it, which is never usually done in basketball. But we we're very honest. This is what we have. This is the plan. If you want to be a part of this, we'd love to have you if you don't. And we did that type of um, survey beforehand with over 100 players, John. Over 100 players we looked at. We had a long list, and we wanted to know who wanted to be involved, who could commit for a two-year cycle, because that's what it was for us. It wasn't come in and play next week. It was, no, commit for two years. So we were able to find, um, I wouldn't say 99% of the players we wanted. Obviously, there were some big hitters um, that we, we tried to get and we couldn't. Um, for all sorts of reasons. And then, but at the end of the day, you want people who are passionate about it and want to play. And we found those. And we've seen it in cricket, Steve, where you have the likes of Josh Butler, who is a 2020 uh, specialist. Yeah. Is yeah. that going to be the same for basketball moving forward? You know, 3x3 is in the Olympics. There are medals to be won at a world level. I believe so. Um, I believe after uh, canvassing all the sport, looking at other teams, top teams, playing with the Serbians, who are the best in the business. And the Serbian coach, um, again, a player who's won untold titles, um, said to me, he goes, you guys are a sleeping giant. He goes, in three on three, you guys have the makeup of the players, have, have those tools 
ready available to you to be successful. All you need is some support, some guidance, and obviously um, a program behind it. So I see this as a way for us to be, it's an it's a easy win, isn't it, for us? We can be successful at round three. And I think we have proven that to the world. The atmosphere at those matches was quite incredible. I said, I sat in the rain. I think it was the only time it rained in Birmingham over the uh, the <laughs> 10 days. And I was, I was at the open air basketball, which was uh, not, not the greatest at that moment. But my son and my wife and I absolutely were enthralled by A, the spectacle and just how fast the game was. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, I can't say I looked at it from that perspective because I was really nervous, especially when it came down to the final games. But it, it was a spectacle. I mean, you saw the kids that were there. They really enjoyed it. People who didn't even know about basketball came up and said, you know what, this is exciting. You know, I can deal with this 10-minute game. You come in, you know, you watch 10 minutes, and then, boom, you watch another team. And, and every team is different. But it's so fast and furious. And there's something happening at every second. So I think that in, in thralls players and 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 fans to actually look at this thing as entertainment. And I think we're able to show that. And we saw you mentioned you were nervous. I mean, the men's final, England 17, Australia 16. <laughs> and the women's final, England 13, Canada 14. I mean, they were tense matches. Yeah, they were nail biters for me. I mean, uh, I don't have much hair, but it was reduced very fast. And now I've got grey hair because of that. Because, you know, when you, you, you put your time and your efforts into a project, you know that. And then you, you come to see it to fruition at the end. Um, it was very nervous, very nervous for me, very nervous for everybody and part of the team. We were just hoping that didn't, that didn't translate to the players on the floor. That's what we were hoping. But again, we had two good coaches um, who were able to manage that, manage the expectations, manage the pressure on the day. And, and I think those players really did us justice. I mean, um, Miles Henson, who's from Birmingham, I mean, he must have felt tremendous pressure in that game being a hometown lad, playing in front of his his, his home uh, home crowd. I mean, I, I even told him, I said, I don't know how you did it, but you held it together. And, and more importantly, you made the winning shot for the men's team. It, it was amazing. And even the silver medal from the women, no one understands that the, the semifinals was really a titanic battle between Australia and GB. I mean, those were the two best teams there. Those were the two best teams. And the fact that we were able to to handle Australia the way we did um, really, to me, was job done. Job done. Whatever happens now, you guys deserve it. You knocked off the best team. You played the best basketball I've ever seen um, the team play 3x3, and you did it at the right time. Let's be honest, they did it at the right time. So we were very happy with 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 the end product, everything. But again, it showed to us that, you know what, we, we can win. We can win at the highest level. I mean, some of these teams have been playing three-on-three three for years, having programs, playing all around the world. And we just put in a two-year cycle and were able to compete with them. So it was very rewarding, and and we did celebrate <laughs> at the end of it all. <laughs> I should, uh, hope, I I should hope so. For me, the, the pressure was there, not as for playing side, but as a performance director. You, you know, you can just imagine, you put everything into this. Um, my brief was to win two medals. Um, for two years, I've been hearing about it in every meet and everywhere I go. So, um, you, you know, it was very it was very rewarding to see that you put the plan together and it worked. So your basketball England, great British basketball or British basketball. Mm. What, how, how does the relationship work there? And we had this success at the Commonwealth Games. How do we then get it into the Olympic Games? I think 
you know, we have the BBF, British Basketball Federation. Um, that's a collaboration of the home nations, uh, Scotland, Wales, and ourselves. I think in the past, we've struggled with relationships and power struggles and dynamics of different people. But I can say, honestly, now we've moved forward from that. Um, they've got a new chief executive, Chris Grant. He's changing things. I think he's a great addition um, to, to that organization and to our sport in general. So I think the future is bright. I think we are now sitting down at tables together, being very positive about the sport and, and basically putting all our skill sets together to make it work. So I, I, I feel galvanized, to be honest, that we can move forward. I think what we need now it goes to another level, as you know how these things work, where we need resources now to back up our plans and ambitions. And I think that's what Chris Grant is out there doing as we speak and other people of his help um, who run the program. They're out there saying we can do some big things in this sport. We just need the support and the belief um, from other governing bodies who, who, who kind of distribute funding. And what about also getting the league games? You mentioned about London Thunder. London Lions are in, in European Cup action as well. All these matches, that you need to kind of get that into people's consciousness as well, don't you? The public consciousness. Yeah, I think marketing, um, having these games available for people to, to access on TV, on internet, is extremely important to drive the game forward. Um, and I'm sure that uh, people are working that right now. We need we need to get our sport in front of on the TV, right? We need to get our sport on the TV. We need to get our sport in the newspaper. We need to get our sport being talked about as as something great for the kids and great for our country that we can be successful uh, in this arena, especially at the high end of the sport. So everybody's working towards that direction, I believe. Um, there was stagnant for. You know, I would say five years ago, it's very stagnant, you know, power struggles everywhere, no funding, but things are slowly moving. It's like the Titanic, right? You want to turn it around. It's going to take a little bit of time. But right now, I think our trajectory is, is where it needs to be. We just need the people above me and above whoever else who have the funding, um, the purse strings to actually um, give us some of this cash. So we can get things done. So Paris 2024, we're unlikely to see a Team GB in, in 3x3, but maybe LA, maybe Brisbane? I, I, I wouldn't say that. Uh, there are ways of, of getting into these tournaments. Um, there's wildcard opportunities if you go and win win tournaments. There's, there are ways of getting into the tournaments, um, even though we're a little bit late off the, off the starting mark. So I've not given up hope. Um, definitely LA is on the cards. But to me, I think if we can um, get the right resources um, to the right people um, and then we can enter some of these wild card tournaments, there's no reason why we couldn't qualify. Mm. Um, I think the future is bright. Uh, in five on five, we've not talked about that, but I do think it's, it's bright in five on five. Some of the young talent coming through, um, we need to provide them a provision to me. In the next five, six years, we can bring some of that talent um, Daniel uh, Hildreth, um, his his son is out there playing at Wake Forest. That's a huge school. We've got two players playing in the ACC at this moment. We've got players distributed all across the U.S. who are who are going to say, "What are you guys going to do for us? We're going to leave school soon. Um, we're ready to go. We're ready to take this sport to the next level." So uh, that's what my head is thinking about. How do we push this game forward? Three on three, the excellence uh, in three on three, and obviously providing something, a platform for these young, talented players who will be coming to our sport as professionals in the next three to five years. And you mentioned a few names. Wouldn't it be great when I do my intro 
in five years time when we we catch up again steve and, and my son is not michael jordan or lebron james but he's miles hessen or henry mccaller or wh- whoever mm. they'll be there there'll be some new names this is the sport you know that there'll always be an unearthing of new talent that comes through and propels the sports and, I, and as i said there's a lot of players out there that some people don't know about are going through that journey right now um building that experience building that knowledge of the sport they're young but over time, I think they will they will propel this sport to where we want it to be. We're talking to Steve Bucknell, Head of Talent and Performance at Basketball England. This is anything but footy's great British bosses. You mentioned Crystal Palace, Tulse Hill. I think you went to school, Steve. Yes, I did. Yeah. How, how, how do you then get to the University of North Carolina, where I assume that they were still going, well, Michael Jordan came here. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I saw you heard about. Um, <laughs> everybody is um, compared to Michael Jordan, especially if you're six six. Um, so yeah, I was I went to Crystal Palace. Um, I just loved the sport, John, to be honest. I didn't know where it could take me what it could do. I played many different sports, finally picked up a basketball, and when I picked it up, I knew I knew straight away. Um, this is it. This is it for me. Um, I was able to play for Crystal Palace, Roy Packham. Um, a long-time coach, all-time great, who's produced probably 100 international players, saw me playing, took a liking to me in his own way, um, and kind of nurtured me for a year and then gave me the opportunity to go to America. At that point, I had to go back to my parents and say, I want to go to America. They were like, there's no way, <laughs> you know, there's no, no way you're leaving. I, I had to plead with my family and say, this is what I want to do. This is my life. And, and finally, they agreed to it under certain terms, as you can imagine, when you're a young kid at my age. Went to high school. I was fortunate enough to find a very good high school, Governor's Academy, prep school, boarding school, excellent academics. The people looked after me there. From uh, I, I can't say anything bad about that place. It really it really gave me the support I needed. And I was, I was lucky enough to be an All-American player there. So I played in a couple All-American games, um, being recognized in the top 20, 30 players in America. And obviously North Carolina uh, is a big time school. Um, they came came to a game, saw me play. Um, the coach spoke to me, Coach Guthridge. Um, he's in heaven right now. May he rest in peace and uh, along uh, along with Dean Smith. And they offered me a, a scholarship. And, and, and at the time, I was a little bit hesitant um, to take it because of the comparisons, not with me, but every six foot six player that's gone after Michael Jordan straight away gets compared. I'm like, I'm no Michael Jordan, but, you know, so, um, but coach said, you know, we think you can help this program. We think you're a solid kid. We think you're a four-year player. Come in and, and, and obviously I thought about it a lot. And I thought about the, the pedigree of the other players that have gone through the program, the success. And then I decided to go there, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy because it's a tough program. Everybody there was an All-American. I walked in, there's 13 All-Americans there. So I had to fight and scrap for every minute I got. But at the end of the day, I believed in Coach Smith and his staff. And and that was really what uh, was a turning point for me. You mentioned Magic Johnson earlier as well with LA Lakers. You were there for, mm. for, for the season. How good a player was he? Um, he's in the top five. I mean, you can have discussions with everybody. you got to put him in the top ten. So... <laughs> Um, you know, it could be top five, top 10, doesn't matter. 
Um, he's one of the all-time greats. And more importantly, him and I think him, Larry Bird at that time kind of changed the game, the way people perceived the game and and the star power it could provide and 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 the marketing, how they were able to market those two and push that NBA to that next level with uh, I believe it was David Stern, who was the commissioner at that time. He really did some some good things around those two guys who came in the league at the same time, who had a rivalry in college, Michigan and India. So it just kept going and it just kept. Uh, but the, the thing about Magic Johnson and about all those players of that elk, of that caliber is they're very competitive. Um, they don't like to lose and they have a drive that I've never seen before. Um, he, I used to, we used to have practice at 10 o'clock. I used to go at nine thinking I was, you know, uh, a goody two getting extra shots in. He was there at seven, they told me. It, it was unbelievable. I, I just couldn't believe it. And this was at, at when his game had plateaued and he was going down. He was there at seven. And so I used to try to get, get in there a little bit early, but I could never get in there earlier than him. He was always in there um, working on his game, working on his craft. And he would always call me young fella, come and rebound. So I'd end up, that's why I didn't really like going, then up rebounding from for like 30, 40 minutes. And you couldn't say no, could you? So, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, I never got a workout, but it was a pleasure to watch him play. Um, his vision was impeccable in terms of seeing the floor. Obviously at 6'8", 6'9", at 230, he was a beast, wasn't he? So um, he changed the game. There's certain people around that he doesn't get much um, accolades as he should to me, but he changed the game, especially mm -hmm. from a point guard position where the point guards went from six foot to all of a sudden you got this six foot nine um, beast of a man with vision, flair, and athleticism playing the point. So I really respect it. I mean, I didn't play a lot, but I tell you something, I, I had the best seats in the house and I enjoyed them most of the time. <laughs> It sounds good. Nin 92 caps for England, 22 yeah. for Great Britain, a bronze at the Commonwealth Games in 2006. That was your uh, personal uh, achievement. Yeah. You played in Germany, Greece, Italy, France, yeah. uh, and then and then back in the UK with 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 Leicester Riders. Yeah. Do you think, Steve, just to, as we kind of wrap this up a little bit, that we're in this country, we're so tunneled vision with football. It's why we started this podcast, but we're so focused with football that we don't really open our eyes and look at what's going on around the world. I mean, I'm amazed that Serbia are the best basketball country in, in, in the world. I would assume it would be USA because I've got my blinkered mm -hmm. British eyes on. Yeah. I think people forget about Europe. Some great, there's some great countries that have been delivering some excellent teams and players. Um, yeah. We're focusing on, on, Football, I think, way too much. I think there's only a finite amount of players that can play football. Um, that We need to have a broader perspective on sports in general, not just basketball, but sports in general. We need to look at all sports and, and offer that uh, vision or opportunity for all types of athletes, not just the ones who play football. Because obviously the ones that play football, certain bills, certain things, that's, that's their little thing. What about the... The, the tall athletes that play basketball. What about the not so tall? What about people who pick up um, handball? I, I, I think you know, that's the one good thing I would say about America. They're a lot more open to look at different sports. But for them, what's required is success. And it's probably what's holding our sport back a little bit is success. But you won't get success until you build something. 
You have to build something to get success. You just don't, you know, start a new sport and get success. You have to put some resources. You have to put a program, a plan together. And I would just like people to support that and support other sports in general. Obviously, my thing is basketball. But I think there's a lot of people out there who play different sports. We don't get no exposure. We don't get funding. We don't get support. Why is that? We feel we could be successful if we were given the opportunity. So I just like us to have as a, as a society, not just to focus on, as you say, nothing but football. There's a lot more happening than football. Uh, it's only when you're in that environment that you realize that, like you said, in, and in Europe, they've got some of the top players. I mean, Luka Doncic, um, I mean, he's one of the top players in the world. He's from uh, Slovenia. You know what I mean? So they're producing. That means they must have um, infrastructure. They must have good leagues. They must have people supporting their youngsters because he's able to do it. So I think we just need to, at the top to me, just open our, our, our horizons and understand that, you know, sport is good for everybody. Everybody can play a part in, in, in society by utilizing sport. So it doesn't just have to be football. That makes sense. Last question then. What are you yeah. most proud of? The gold and silver that you masterminded for the Commonwealth Games uh, last year or that bronze in the Commonwealth Games personally in 2006? It's a tough one. Um, you got my players hat on, then you got my exactly. performance hat on. It's, it, it's, a, it's a difficult one. Um, I would say they both gave me satisfaction in different ways. Um, obviously, to see out my career um, with a bronze was great. Obviously, to be behind the scenes, doing a different thing, something that I never thought I would do, plan, planning a whole program and team and, and, and seeing that successful kind of gave me the belief that all those years I spent toiling on teams and working across uh, Europe did pay dividends in the end for our country. Because I did, I do agree that, you know, the program that we put together uh, was the right one for those players and it, and it did work. Well, Steve, you've been an inspiration in your playing career and now in your coaching career, and we hope for much more to come. You've certainly inspired me in this conversation today. I'm going to go out and practice with my son when he gets home uh, from school in the back in the backyard with the net. But uh, we really appreciate you talking to anything but footy and great British bosses. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure um, to get the word out there about basketball and the good things it can do for the, for the youngsters and the olders because, you know, we love watching it, don't we? We watch love watching those athletes on the floor doing their thing. So thank you, John. Sports Social Podcast Network.